the White House is having a very hard time defending or even defining what's actually involved in the student loan bailout. Joe Biden attacks MAGA Republicans as semi-fascist, plus examples emerge of left-wing influence in America's government-run schools. All that and more, I'm Bobby Eberly. This is a 13-minute news hour. God bless the United States of America. Okay, friends, welcome to the show. Happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to start with Joe Biden's White House trying to justify what can't be justified. Joe Biden's illegal plan to forgive student loan debt. That's at least how the Biden team is phrasing it, forgiving student loan debt. Of course, that's not what's going on here. These student loans are just magically disappearing. No, someone has to pay and that someone is the American taxpayer. Some students went out there and got the loan. And Joe Biden is saying that someone else has to pay the debt. Have you ever heard of a crazier policy? I realize that the Democrat Party has been taken over by the woke radical left. That's certainly true. And more and more moderate Democrats are turning away from the far left's policies. But how can any Democrat, regardless of where he or she falls on the political spectrum, think it is fair for someone to take out student loans and someone else be forced to pay it off. But that's exactly what Biden and his team are proposing. And now they have to explain how this is fair, which it's not, and how it will be paid for, which the rest of us already know. Here's White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre talking about the student loan bailout and struggling to say how it will be paid for. Do you all believe that this this student loan program is fully paid for. And if it's not, why does the president think it was important to have all of his other spending priorities fully paid for to be fiscally responsible, but not this one? So we do, uh, we, so this, again, this is the question that um, uh, my colleague here, uh, Ambassador, got. So it, we have to get a better sense, right, of what we're talking about as far as cost. Wait, let me just let me just say that out loud. She is the she is the domestic policy advisor, and when she was asked that question, so I just want to iterate what she said. Uh, but we do believe it will be fully paid for because of the because of the work that this president has done with the economy. Okay, let's just pause for a moment. We'll let that response soak in a bit. Inflation is at a 40-year high. The country is in a recession. That's Biden's work on the economy. And yet, the press secretary says that because of Biden's work on the economy, this 300 to $500 billion program is paid for. What can you even say? Here's more. This time, she has asked how much the bailout will cost. I gave you an estimate, but Jean-Pierre was asked how much it will cost because surely they know that since Biden team is saying it's paid for, right? So you could say this is how much it's going to cost if everyone who is eligible applies. I, I, I mean, don't have a, I, we just don't have a, a number to share at this time. Why don't you? I, look, the secretary, uh, the UN ambassador, the former UN ambassador spoke to this yesterday. We just have to see. It is a process that we just need uh, to, take, to, take a, to take a look before we can answer that question. We just don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We just don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Seriously? Most people know how much something costs before they say if they can pay for it or not. You kind of have to know the cost. But not if you're the Biden team. We'll just stick it to the American taxpayers with paying off student loans 
instead of making those students pay off the loans themselves. In another question, the reporter starts off listing the major topics that we've covered so far in the show and asks how the White House can claim this is a fiscally responsible action. You can't say how much it's gonna cost. You can't say exactly how it's gonna be paid for. And you can't say exactly who is paying for the cost. I, I get how you're arguing that it helps certain yeah. populations, but yeah. how is it fiscally responsible? I mean, the way that the way that we are talking about it and what we're trying to say is we the, the actions that we have taken, and you see this uh, with uh, the way that the deficit has been reduced, uh, we have taken uh, just uh, the last 19 months, and I see that look that you're giving me well, there. Well, Matt. I, I well, hear the but, argument but, that you have taken previous fiscally responsible right, actions that right, leave you, well, you give you more wiggle well, room to be Right. It gives us no, 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 no. We, we. I mean, we see this. We do not see this as irresponsible. Inflation is going crazy. More and more people have stopped looking for work. The country is in a recession. And Jean Pierre basically says, "Look at our track record of fiscal responsibility, friends. There is absolutely no one who should pay off a student loan other than the person who took out the loan. Period. I'm sure Democrats, Republicans, and Independents." can all agree on that. There are people who went to college and worked their way through to pay the bills themselves. There are others who took out loans and paid them off. There are still others who did not go to college or take out student loans who are still struggling in this Biden economy. And Biden is telling them, you folks have to pay. That is fundamentally unfair and the American people know it. And by the way, for those out there who might think this is a good political move before the elections, it's not. Regardless of political party, people recognize actions that are clearly fair or not fair. And this is not fair. In recent days, Democrat Representative Tim Ryan from Ohio has come out and criticized the plan. Democrat Senators Michael Bennett from Colorado and Catherine Cortez Masto from Nevada also came out against the student loan bailout. And what do all three have in common? They are all on the ballot this year and closely watched Senate races. All right, next, let's talk about the so-called great uniter, Joe Biden. But first, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, hit that subscribe button, make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Okay, next, let's talk about Joe Biden and the label the media gave him almost instantly during the 2020 campaign. They called him the great uniter the anti-Trump, basically. I remember watching the inauguration, and one left-wing pundit said that Biden sounded like the pastor-in-chief. That, of course, was the fantasy, the media narrative. The reality has been quite different. The reality is that of a person, Joe Biden, who not only attacks his political opponents, but goes after everyday Americans, too, much like Hillary Clinton and other elitist Democrats. Remember this? Be grossly generalistic, you could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? That's Hillary Clinton, not calling out Trump, but Trump supporters. And to me, Joe Biden has been even worse. If you don't agree with his policies, he goes after you. Remember during the debate about the filibuster and the Democrats' proposed legislation to federalize America's elections? Joe Biden said this. 
I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend the right to vote, our democracy against all enemies, foreign and, yes, domestic. Domestic enemies. That's what Biden is calling Americans who favor things like voter ID. Domestic enemies. Add to that the revelation that the Biden administration colluded to get parents, parents labeled potential domestic terrorists if they speak out at school board meetings. Is this America or maybe China or North Korea? Well, now Biden is ramping up the rhetoric again. This time, he's going after Trump supporters. This is not new. In addition to attacking Trump, Biden has attacked the MAGA movement before, the MAGA Republicans. He's basically labeling half the country as bad people. But now, Biden has gone even further in his rhetoric. Biden, the great uniter, just said that MAGA Republicans are semi-fascist. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. Friends, that was a 16-second clip. And in it, Biden calls MAGA Republicans a threat. Two times. An actual threat. Then he ramps up things by saying MAGA Republicans embrace political violence. Where's the media? Why aren't they doing their jobs? Well, I did find one clip from the roundtable portion of NBC's Meet the Press, where Peter Alexander calls the comment problematic. When he was in Poland, he said of Vladimir Putin that he couldn't stay in power, and that became controversial. The White House, you know, backpedaled on that, walked that back. There's no backpedaling on this. It's clear that there's a more aggressive strategy. We talked about the way that they were handling the debate over student loans. Do you think he actually soft-pedaled it? Do you think someone said you should say fascism, and he said, I'm going to say fascism. When I spoke to Age, this wasn't a a teleprompter speech. This is what he's been thinking. They say he said it out loud. This was done not on camera. But it it fires up Democrats. It juices up the base because they want to see him be more aggressive on that. But it also does, you know, it does become problematic because, you know, this is a guy who said he wanted to be a unifier. That's about as much as you'll get from the media. And it wasn't even a real criticism. The entire group is basically laughing at the fact that Biden called Trump supporters semi-fascist. And what does that even mean? I honestly have no idea. But hey, why don't we ask White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre? If anyone would know it, it would be her. Right? What exactly is semi-fascism, Karine? So let me just first say this uh, tonight, uh, what you heard from this president, uh, Don. And again, thank you for having me, because this is really important. The American people have a choice in front of them. And the president laid that out very clearly, very powerfully tonight. When you look at what Democrats are doing and what they are delivering and what they have done, Don, in less than in less than two years, which is lowering costs on prescription drugs, lowering the energy uh, uh, costs. Don Lemon asked her what semi-fascism is, and she starts listing things the Biden administration has done. And she was just getting started. She ignored the question and kept going on issue after issue after issue. Finally, Lemon had to jump in. I want to get to all those things. With with all due respect, but but we have a short time. I'm going to get to all those things, but I just, if you'll answer my question, we can get to those things. I am. What exactly is semi-fascism? Don, I was just about to get to your question. Okay. I really was. But right. I want to, you brought me on the show for a reason, and I have to talk about it. I what understand the that. I just have tonight. limited Wait. time with you. I just want to make well, sure we well, get all these. By, by having this back and forth, we're actually taking away from the time. Wow. And then 
She basically just listed issues that Republicans disagree with Biden on. That makes them semi-fascist. The chairman of the Democrat National Committee, Jamie Harrison, actually defended Biden's words during Harrison's appearance on CBS News' Face the Nation. He ignored the fact that Biden said he would unite the country, and he defended this politics of division that Biden has used over and over again. All right, now let's talk about education, because there are few areas out there in society where the destructive influence of the woke radical left is more evident than education, particularly America's government-run schools. For example, we had news a few weeks ago that Minnesota's government-run schools will be implementing a new policy that will lay off teachers based on race. That's right. White teachers will go first. Minnesota Public Schools reached an agreement with its teachers' union to institute a policy that will discriminate against white teachers during layoffs, according to a report from Alpha News. The agreement, which the union reached in March following a two-week strike, appends the seniority-based layoff system under which teachers who have been employed the least amount of time are the first to be fired. Under the new rules, if a minority teacher is set to be laid off, the district will instead fire the next least senior teacher who is white. As I mentioned, that's just one example. Here's another, this time involving parents' rights and gender-confused children. Public schools nationwide are telling students they can assume different pronouns, have access to another sex's bathroom, and change their name without letting their parents know, a violation of federal law, legal experts tell the Washington Free Beacon. Fairfax County Public Schools in Virginia bar teachers from outing transgender students to parents, as do Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland. These increasingly common policies are meant to guard students against parents who, according to Fairfax County Schools, may not yet be supportive of their child's transition. Unreal. And according to an attorney interviewed by the Washington Free Beacon, these actions are in violation of parents' rights codified in the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act of 1974. And there's more. We also have schools pushing leftist talking points on race, history, and law enforcement. One government-run school in Denver is now in the news for portraying law enforcement officials as the bad guys who target minorities and who are to be avoided at all costs. A Denver public high school this week showed students a video that claimed police have been trained to see people of color as criminals. During an assembly Tuesday, students at Denver South High School watched Don't Be a Bystander, Six Tips for Responding to Racist Attacks, Fox 31 reported. The video also claims police target gender non-conforming folks and Muslims and instructed students to avoid the police who often treat victims as perpetrators of violence. Now, it turns out the video was produced by the Liberal Bernard Center for Research on Women, and school officials are now saying that the video wasn't vetted properly before showing. There are more stories out there just like these, and it's a big reason why parents are coming forward and getting more involved. School boards are being taken to task, and they should be. Government-run schools have become a breeding ground for left-wing, woke ideology that produces students who are ill-prepared academically and who are force-fed a curriculum of anti-American rhetoric. Finally, let's talk about Hunter Biden's laptop, because there have been some remarkable revelations this past week, and it all points to corruption, cover-up, and the Democrats' plan for this November. First, 
we have the revelation from Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg that the FBI contacted him prior to the 2020 elections about possible Russian disinformation. And based on those conversations, Facebook suppressed the distribution of the Hunter Biden story. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg this week told popular podcaster Joe Rogan that Facebook did limit stories on the newsfeed related to the New York Post story about President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and his laptop after warnings from the FBI, but defended the law enforcement agency as a legitimate institution. Zuckerberg said on an episode of Rogan's podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, that was uploaded on Thursday, that the FBI reached out to his company ahead of the 2020 presidential election to warn them to take note of potentially polarizing content. So, the FBI talks to Zuckerberg, and all of a sudden, Facebook was throttling and burying a legitimate news story on Hunter Biden by the New York Post. If you recall, Twitter wouldn't even let you post the story at all. Now, I don't know what you officially call it when elements of the federal government work in concert with a big tech company to bring down a sitting American president, but I'd call it treason. And make no mistake, the suppression of the Hunter Biden story made a huge difference in people's perceptions going into the 2020 elections. According to a new poll, nearly 80% of those surveyed believe that had the Hunter Biden story not been censored, the outcome of the 2020 election would have been different. Nearly 80% believe that. I've covered other polls in the past that show 20% of Biden voters would have changed their vote had they known about the Hunter Biden story. When you see how close things were in Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and other states, that's the election right there. This weekend, I had the pleasure of hanging out with Cash Patel, who has been instrumental in going after the DOJ, and in particular the FBI, on so-called Russia collusion and their efforts to bring down a president. Couple the deep state elements of our government with big tech, and you see the uphill battle we have as conservatives. But we have to keep fighting. The Hunter Biden story must fully see the light of day. And when it does, the American people will realize just how corrupt the Biden family is. Friends, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, hit that subscribe button, make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our next show will be Monday evening at the usual time. Until then, I'm Bobby Eberly. This is a 13-minute news hour.